0: Namaste, namaskaram, vanakam, namona, maha, jay, ganesha. Please visit our website at classicalyoga.org. And there is a donate button if you would like to help us out. And please stand up for the Hindu, yoga, religious, spiritual, scientific, philosophical lifestyle. Today's podcast. Do you believe in the resurrection? Hmm. A Hindu asking this question? And you know what's meant by that. This is one of the key points of Christian evangelism, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's something interesting from a Hindu point of view. When a Christian comes to try and convert you, and you know they do, and there are numerous videos out there of tactics that Christians use to try to dialogue with Hindus, not to really understand them as Hindus, but to convert them into Christianity. So be very wary of their motives. So, when a Christian says to you, because we need to know how to confront them also, not to convert them, but maybe to make them see the absurdity of their theology. Remember when you use the word theos in any fashion, it's referring to the Christian God, theos, God, the Greek, theos, which is a one male creator being. We'll go into that a little bit more, but, Back to the original question. Do you believe in the resurrection? As a Hindu, you can say, of course. Hmm. Jesus died and was resurrected? Yes, of course. Because everyone does. This is the basic Hindu belief of samsara, of reincarnation, that we are the atmana, tattva, masi, with a body, mind, and emotion that's going to die And then we move on into the next experience. So we all resurrect. Of course, to the Christian, this is exclusively only for Jesus. So they believe in reincarnation, but it's only in a limited form. For example, in their theology, this male creator being God is supposed to have incarnated through a virgin woman who already had a husband, mind you and took on human form, and was killed on a cross, and then rose again. And from their point of view, he is the only one that can do that. So, you have several instances of reincarnation. One, God incarnating, or reincarnating into a human form. Then as a human form, dying and resurrecting, that's reincarnation number two. And according to the Christian theology, he's supposed to come back Again, so that would be reincarnation number three. And if you look at the history of Christianity, they've been predicting since the very beginning that this Jesus would return in the lifetime of the individuals reading that or listening to that. This is the carrot held in front of the donkeys, so to speak, in every age to give people the hope that this Jesus is coming in their lifetime. So be ready. For the Christian theology is, if you're not ready, you're left behind. If you don't accept this Jesus as your risen Savior, the unique risen Savior, then you are destined for the opposite of heaven. Which, of course, is hell, which is interesting for an omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God to create a hell also where all the unbelievers go? With just a very simple reflection on the Christian theology, the absurdity should be blatant. Now, at the outset, this is not to say that Christians, for the most part, are not good people. They're very kind, very generous. This is the beauty of religion spirituality in general, which all religions express. Remember, when we're using English, we use that as a blanket term, religion, to discuss discuss all of these traditions around the world. So in their lifestyle, many Christians are just wonderful people, very hardworking, very giving, selfless, etc. And that's to be... Uh, lauded. That's to be praised in any of the religions of the world. But we're looking at their basic theology, which really has not changed. And it is one of exclusivity. This reincarnation process is only done by one deity, Jesus. However, if you look at it, is not one supposed to die and go to heaven? So that's a reincarnation. And here's an interesting fact, that Cremation was never, ever allowed within Christianity. Why? Because in burial, the notion was that at the second coming, when Jesus comes again, from the east, that all the souls are supposed to rise from the graves. That's why traditionally all the gravestones faced east to be ready to be resurrected in their glorified body to be with Jesus. However, then what happens when one dies? Where are they? going then, it's, it's, very, it's very confusing as you see. So actually from the outset we see that this fabricated God, remember that's a very recent term actually, coined in about the 1500s. It's an Anglo-Saxon term and it does mean a one, male as opposed to goddess, creator being noun. And again, to date, no one has ever proved that there is a one male creator being now that created all things. So rather than going on with inferences, simply ask your Christian friends, who is he? Where is he? Same thing with the Jewish rabbi Yeshua, who after his death, his name was changed to Jesus and his religion to Christianity. Where is he? Now, this is not to say that within an individual, they cannot have experiences of spirit beings. That's fine. But when we take invisible spirit beings to others and try to make that requisite knowledge for the whole world, that's where we step over the line into dangerous cultism and the need to convert others to our rigid ideology. And lest one think that the anthropomorphic god is not just that and a male figure, Simply look at the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Would they ever say our mother who art in heaven, or our it who art in heaven, thy queendom come? And it's not a coincidence that all of the priests were males, certainly in Catholicism. And it's only been recently that women have taking the role of preachers because there's a biblical injunction actually against that. So when it comes to the Bible, which is supposed to be the written word of God or the word of God, obviously all of our scriptures, all of our religions, are they're all human made, however inspired on the inside, but they're all human made, all the scriptures. So there's no deity anywhere that's actually writing these scriptures. They're all human made. And obviously there's some good in there and there's some extremism, some real bad in there, some violence in there that has caused violence throughout the ages. Just look at 9/11. Look back at slavery. Right, which existed obviously around the world. It's not it's not really a racial thing specifically, but it was sanctioned in the Christian Bible. Look at the stance against homosexuality, however one thinks of that. I mean, that is a biblical injunction. And even women, it's not a coincidence that it wasn't until the 1920s, that's not too long ago, that women gained the right to vote in America. Again, a biblical injunction that women are supposed to remain covered and silent and subservient to their husbands. So Hindus, don't remain silent when the Christians come a knocking trying to convert you. Just ask them some very basic questions. So where is he? Where is this God? Where is this Jesus? Can you prove that such a being exists? Of course not. And if you as a Christian truly believe that this God of yours is all powerful, why would he need you to try to convert or convince me of anything? Why doesn't he do it himself? And here we get to the root problem of pomposity, of egoism, that the Christians feel. And it's written in their Bible that this is their mission to convert the whole world. But you can clearly see how it becomes an egotistical thing. Just look at the power and the money that's involved in the Catholic Church, for example. Look at all the numerous, and there's said to be about 2,000 different Christian sects, Look at the numerous preachers that have amassed fortunes right up to this day with mega churches and huge, huge estates and private jets. Wow. Is this really what their God wants them to have? Is this really the example of the Jewish rabbi Yeshua, who probably existed for sure? But if the accounts are correct, this was obviously a very... Materially poor person. Very devout. Devout Jew. And there's the classic story of. Him spending 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Ah, calling upon his father. Which is also supposed to be him to some. Christians which is very interesting. And those Christians that really. Say they believe in this Jesus and use him as a role model. And they really have such strong faith. Why don't they try to do what he did? Actually, in Hinduism, we have yogis who do this. They go off in the forest all by themselves. Having such full faith in their beliefs, their understandings, their experiences. But ask the Christian, go off in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Call on your God and see what happens. See if he comes to you. Obviously, he didn't come even to... The Jewish Rabbi Yeshua on the cross, who must have fooled himself into thinking that he was the divine and that his father would always take care of him because he cried out, why have you forsaken me? Which is what we all must do at some point, realize that this body, mind, and emotions is going to go. Nothing can save us from that. So here's where we get to the core of what we as Hindus believe as we follow the Hindu yoga, religious, spiritual, scientific, philosophical lifestyle. And we do not have a record of trying to go around the world proselytizing. However, if they ask questions, and they are generally trying to learn about Hindus, not simply baiting you to try to convert you, right? you can educate them. And remember that Hindu dharma existed for thousands of years before Christianity was ever invented, before Judaism, before the monotheistic religion. So that's something to ponder. So in their believing in an all-powerful God, obviously he created Hindus and others. Hinduism is not just the oldest religion. There are other great traditions around the world too that existed long before the invention of Christianity. So obviously where did all of that come from? Why did their God wait so long to manifest himself? Hmm. Again, it's all concocted theology, coming probably from fear or in a sense from a love where they want to save all of humanity with their ideology. But say to yourself, say to your fellow Hindus, say to any Christians who really are asking you questions and want to learn, what do we know? We know that we are here as human beings. We have a body, a mind, and emotions. And perhaps what is an inner essence that we all share? Do we not all share? An inner sense of obviously existing, pure existence, pure consciousness, yes. Pure energy, yes. And do we all not experience a sense of lightness at times, as opposed to heaviness and depression. Do we not have an inner light? Yes. If we did not, we would not have imagination. We would not have dreams at night. And obviously, if you press on the optic nerve, you can see the inner light. If you get knocked on the head, you see stars, if you will. But many can see an inner light when in their periods of contemplation. So it's a reality. And do we not all experience, to whatever degree, an inner sense and feeling of love. This is what we do know as humans, and not just humans, look at our animals too. That's why many of us have pets. They exhibit more of this pure existence, pure consciousness, pure energy and love than do our fellow humans sometimes. That's why we love them and feel such grief when they depart, because they're so loyal. They're really our teachers in many ways. So, we need to ask ourselves, what do we know? Yes, we have this inner essence of pure existence, pure energy, a feeling of lightness, hopefully, an inner experience of light. This is where you get illumination from within, imagination, creativity, and a sense of love. This is what we do know. What a wonderful world it would be if we as humans realize our inner essence of Pure love and light and energy, and let that emanate into our body, mind, and emotions, respecting our planet, respecting the animals, respecting our fellow human beings, and then respecting how one wants to express this love and light and energy with their body, mind, and emotions. Hence, this is true, unity then in diversity, respecting the diversity, the different languages, the different ideas, enjoy them rather than conflicting with them. Though there is time for rigorous debate, this is healthy, this is mental gymnastics. If we keep in mind a good sense of sportsmanship, a win-win situation, it's not always a win-lose situation, which is what the monotheist really wants to do is win and everybody else lose. Is this playing the game of life fair? So let's be fair. Let's be directly honest with ourselves. What do we really know about ourselves? What do we know about our inner essence? What do we know about who or what created all things? When it came to some of those ultimate questions, in all humility... Our ancient Hindu Rishis simply said Ka. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot we can know, but as far as where many things came from, I mean, yes, there's. we fully respect science, but in its ultimate sense, sometimes we just have to say, who knows? Who knows how everything actually began? If it did have a beginning, maybe there's no such thing as a beginning. Maybe it just continues on and on and on. That's hard for our minds to grasp, Eternity of the moment. So let's look at this present moment. And do you feel the pure energy inside of you? Yes. Do you feel a sense of lightness, hopefully? In your existence, you have a unique existence, right? And that's wonderful to ponder. Just think of all the billions of people on the earth. All these individual beings going through their life traumas. And you're just one of them. We're just one of them. That's why we take our life seriously, but not too seriously. So at this moment, we're experiencing this pure consciousness of, of who we are at this moment. This pure energy, a sense of lightness. Maybe close your eyes and you may see a soft white inner light. That's why Hindus wear the bindu. It's the mark of the Hindu. As we focus, actually at the command glands of the body, the pineal and the pituitary glands at the third eye point, look for the soft inner light and let that light flow through the whole body. It's not a coincidence that all religions speak of light and actually light, lights, candles, sacred fires. Look at Moses' encounter on Mount Sinai to a fire. Hmm. Actually, this is the first word of the Rig Veda, Agni Mele, praise the fire, the outer fire and the inner fire. And that fire is light, it is pure consciousness, it is pure energy, and it is warmth, which translates into human experience of ananda, bliss, or love. Love is a warm experience, as opposed to cold and frigid, unloving. Love is, and we humans know this, and we feel it at our heart. That's why we send hearts to people on Valentine's Day. This is what Hindus call the Anahata chakra at the heart the golden womb chamber, the Hiranyagarbha inside, where we find our youthful, loving warrior spirit. It's not a coincidence that the word love is used in innumerable songs, in poems, we speak of love. We all have this on the inside of us, this love and light and energy. As Hindus we say, Om, this are we, with emotions, mind and body. We actually call it Satchit Ananda, this pure Existence, pure consciousness, a reality, a fact. Chid, pure energy, sound energy, light energy, heat energy, which becomes the human emotion of bliss or ananda, hence sat, chit, ananda. Jyoti, light, shakti energy, ananda shanti, a loving peace. Again, religions all speak of peace. Hmm. Can there be peace when we're trying to make our way, the way, the only way? So we need to look at what we call the NAT principle. And a NAT can either be a pest, or the word natty means that you are outfitted properly. So it's up to us. Do we become a pest or do we try to get our life in order? This is actually the meaning of the word religio, to bind or to link together, simply trying to get our act together. Hindus use the word dharma, trying to figure out what holds things together, and then our lifestyle becomes yoga, not the yoga of today, which is a total distortion. Yoga comes from huge meaning to yoke, trying to yoke ourselves together, respecting always generalities and specifics. Yoga specifically, Hindu. Dharma specifically, Hindu. So this Nat principle is profound. It means that one's way is not the way, fundamentalism, nor the other extreme, no way or all ways, which is the fundamentalist universalist position, but a way in the middle. Extremely profound when it comes to the different Traditions of the world. Our religion is not the way. That is the pure fundamentalist who thinks every other religion is wrong at best or outright evil. Or the other extreme, which is very kind of new age, which is old age, universalism. When they're taking something very specific, for example, today's yoga, and trying to make that a universal panacea. That's the fundamentalist, universalist mindset, or often a knee-jerk reaction to the fundamentalist, and vice versa. Many go from New Age to Christianity, from Christianity to New Age, and back and forth. This is what we as Hindus call the Sada Lola Hara of life, a song we sing to Shiva, the truth Sada of the swing Lola of life that destroys our ignorance as we go from one extreme to the other. This understanding provides great compassion. As we understand, we're all on this human journey together learning and growing, trying to find balance in life, in as would say a sattvic life, equilibrium, a balanced life where we don't fall flat on either the fundamentalist or the universalist side, but we find a balance in the middle when we fully understand that our way in life, whatever it is, especially when it comes to religion, is a way. It's the way for you, of course, but it's not the way for the whole world. And it's not a universal way. This is a fault that many Hindus fall into when they use or misuse the term Sanatana dharma, thinking now that this Sanskrit term is the universal way for all of humanity. That is simply the other extreme of the pure fundamentalist. You find this in today's modern phony yoga movement, where they say that this embraces all religions. And there's a very simple test for that. Simply go to a synagogue, a church, a mosque, and inform them that yoga is for them, that it's universal, that it applies to their religion. And you'll quickly get um, an answer that probably you're not looking for. So hopefully we all take to heart the reality of the resurrection, the reincarnation of life that happens every morning when we are born again from a deep sleep where we knew nothing. We knew nothing of our body, mind, and emotions. But we did wake up, one day we won't, but we woke up and resurrected every single morning. Every single moment is a new moment. Every single day is a birth day. As we live in the eternity of the moment, using our conscious and subconscious mind to learn from the past and to plan for the future, but enjoy this eternal nature of the moment, which is constantly evolving, transforming, resurrecting. This is why as Hindus we say, Tat tvam asi, thou art that. We are that inner essence of pure consciousness, pure existence, pure energy, light and love with a body, mind and emotions, going through our day after day experiences, decade after decade, lifetime after lifetime, with the wisdom of resurrection or reincarnation or samsara. Awake, arise, look and see, thou art that, tattvam, asi. jyoti shakti ananda shanti, love, light, And energy, om, this are we, with emotions, mind, and body. Have a peaceful life, to the best of your ability. Have a full life, a tranquil life. And wish others well. Om, peace, peace, peace. Shanti, shanti, shanti. P.S. Postscript, but we say perception, perception and wisdom or prajna and samadhi. So think for a moment, no reincarnation, no life. Every breath of air, every drink of water has been reincarnated or recycled. Look at the water cycle. Precipitation, interception, infiltration, percolation, evaporation, condensation, the whole thing starts all over again. So we breathe out carbon dioxide and the trees take it in and give us back oxygen. The trees can be our great Guruji's. Look at the way they grow. They simultaneously have strong roots, a trunk reaching up, branches, leaves, perhaps flowers and fruit. This is really the essence of the lifestyle of having ethical roots. Devotion, reaching up and hopefully devoted to goodness. That's why ethics are first. And then branching out into the beautiful flowering of the spirit, concentration, meditation, to be practiced within their specific religions, which ends in the fruit of enlightenment. But doesn't really end because within that fruit is a seed and the process starts all over again, reincarnation. And every year the tree gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So you can use the analogy of the tree. Remember, a guru is a Hindu teacher. But the tree as a teacher here, for us as Hindus, a guru, to teach us to strive to be ethical, devoted, concentrated, keep repeating the process, and you will get the ongoing fruit of enlightenment. Enlightenment to be, epiphanies, inner realizations. This general process we Hindus specifically call karma yoga, Hindu Ethics or Roots, Bhakti Yoga, Hindu Devotions, Raja Yoga, Hindu Meditations, Contemplations, and Gyan Yoga, the Ongoing Fruit of Enlightenment. So again, no reincarnation, no life. As we get chance after chance after chance. And just think of the good parent. Would a good parent simply give their children one chance and that's it? They're forever doomed? No, of course not. This is the wisdom and beauty of the reincarnating process as we go lifetime after lifetime to ultimately realizing our inner essence of love and light and energy with emotions, mind and body. And then, who knows? This is the great mystery of life. If we're not a mystery, if we're not a game, It would take all of the enjoyment, the excitement, the daily hopes and aspirations of living itself. Hope does spring eternal, hopefully, because life is eternal. Round and round we go, never stopping. Love is the ultimate thing I think we need to know. Oh, Mananda Priya, love and blessings to all.